0: Psalm chapter 13 reads, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes. Or I will sleep in death and my enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. Psalm 13 is only a short psalm, but it's a powerfully honest psalm that teaches us a lot. Hopefully, it's something you can identify with, because I think this psalm often represents the lives and struggles of many Christians. David's psalm is broken into three sections. I've called them his complaint, his plea and his resolve. So let's first of all look at David's complaint. Verses 1 and 2 repeat the phrase, how long, four times. This how long is not like children on a school coach asking the teacher how long before we get there. It's not the how long have I got before my holiday. It's not the words you say to a beloved friend, how long can you stay? This is an entirely different how long. It's how long is this misery going to last? Sometimes we use time to put things in perspective and comfort people. We tell our children, it's just a little injection, it'll be over in 10 seconds and then we can go and buy sweeties. The 10 seconds makes it seem possibly bearable. Or when you're having building work done in your house, you ask, how long will it take? So you know how long you have to live without a kitchen or a bathroom or live with dust and dirt and tradesmen trooping through the house. I once had to have an MRI and I was put in one of those horribly confining tunnels. They told me I would be in there for 20 minutes and they played a CD for me to listen to while I was in there. I started off by counting up to 60 repeatedly so that I could assure myself that it would soon be over. But eventually I lost count. So I started counting how many tracks I'd listened to from the CD, working out that if the average song was about five minutes long and I'd listened to two songs, I could be halfway there. A sense of how long something is going to go on for helps us endure in difficult times. We feel we can bear it if we know it will soon be over. But here is the problem. In the Christian life, things can be tough, but we don't always get that very precise information of how long our difficulty is going to last. A week? A month? God forbid a year? Longer than a year? We have no way of knowing. So what do we do? Well here the psalmist cries out to God, how long? This is the how long of someone who feels that they are at breaking point. They have endured, they have been patient, they have been strong, they have been faithful, but it's going on so long and they don't know if they're going to manage much longer. David recognises that he is being worn down day after day. He's been handling things. He's been the perfect example of a believer, one who trusts in God. He's been someone everyone admires and looks up to. But he's not sure how much longer he can keep going. He can feel himself slipping. He can feel cracks beginning to show. The armour is starting to wear thin. Hence his cry of, how long, how long, how long? I'm sure we can all identify with him in one way or another. How long before my husband, my wife, my children turn to Christ? How long do I have to be unemployed for? How long am I going to be single? How long am I going to have to struggle with this issue? How long? We can all finish the sentence with predicaments that we personally face. But what is David complaining about? Well, his complaint is made up of four things. His first complaint is that he feels forgotten by God. Verse 1 reads, How long will you forget me? Forever? There may be times when you too feel that what you're praying about is vitally important, but nothing happens, nothing changes, and it almost feels like God has just forgotten you. At this point, it can become hard to just keep trusting, keep waiting, keep being patient, and you begin to doubt, is God even listening to me? Or has God got favourites who he always listens to and he just forgets about everyone else? It would be so easy if God could answer and just say, stay strong, your prayer will be answered next Friday or this day next year or in five years time on your birthday. That would give us something to work towards, wouldn't it? It's not the not It's the not knowing how long that is getting to David and may at times get to us. David's second complaint is that he feels like God is deliberately hiding from him. Verse one again, how long will you hide your face from me? He moves from saying, you've forgotten me which might be an accident, as if God might reply, Oh you! I forgot all about you! I'm so sorry! No, David realises this is nonsense. God doesn't forget people. So he becomes a little braver. I know you haven't forgotten me, God, but you're deliberately ignoring me. It's like David is suggesting God knows where he is knows what he's going through and is hiding away so he doesn't have to get involved. Basically, he's accusing God of being that person who won't answer the phone to you or won't return your messages, someone who deliberately avoids you. Thirdly, David complains that he is now struggling with anxiety and his mind is tortured with anxious thoughts. Verse 2 reads, How long will I store up anxious concerns within me? Agony in my mind every day. Peace of mind is a precious thing. But I've learned during my Christian walk that I often have a false sense of peace because my peace is based on what I can see around me. Everything is fine. There are no major problems. We have food in the cupboard. We have petrol in the car. We have a roof over our heads. We can rest easily. But are we resting in Christ or are we resting in our happy circumstances? At this moment, the circumstances surrounding David are awful and he's doing what most of us do when we have problems. He's chewing them over day in and day out, thinking about how bad things are, worrying about what will happen, playing all the different scenarios over in his head And it's robbing him of his peace and starting to affect his health. He's suffering from anxiety. He complains his mind is tortured. This sort of stress in our lives can affect every aspect of our lives, our relationships, our work. We might lose interest in socialising. So David is complaining to God, I'm suffering from anxiety here. David also complains that he feels like an underdog, like everyone is getting the better of him. Verse 2 reads, How long will my enemy dominate me? You might, you might have, How long will my enemy triumph over me in your versions? When Benjamin went to be with the Lord, it was September, and that first Christmas without him was so difficult not least because Ben loved Christmas. But what was especially painful were the cards, the Christmas cards that arrived, where Ben's name was just simply absent from the card. Dear Kim, Jerry, Joseph and Rachel, that was hard to see in black and white, and it was hard to bear, especially if the person sending the card didn't even mention Benjamin, to say, we know this Christmas is going to be really hard for you all without Ben. Our front room was still full of sympathy cards, and those cards were precious to us. And the Christmas cards just seemed like an insult. But one thing that stands in my mind is a Christmas card I got from a woman who I'd grown up with. Her son and Ben were friends, and they attended the same Bible study group together. She wished us all a very happy Christmas and then included a photograph. And on the back, she had written, I thought you'd like to see this photo of my son and his beautiful bride. Hope it won't long be long before I have some grandchildren. To me, that was a dagger to the heart. And I will tell you later how I dealt with it. But it's hard when we feel like people are doing so well in life, getting on so great. Their children are getting married. Now they've got grandchildren. For you, it might be completely different. Someone else gets a promotion. Someone else buys a new house. Someone gets a new car. Or someone who's been married 50 years and celebrating their golden wedding when your wife walked out on you after five years and you've just received your divorce papers. Or someone has eight children and tells you, all of my children love the Lord. And your child is a prodigal on the run from God. They always seem to get good reports from the doctor and you always seem to get bad. It feels like people always seem to triumph over us, do better than us. They always seem to be celebrating when we always seem to have our heads down, getting crushed by life. You know... A cry that is repeated over and over and over again, how long, how long, how long, is likely to turn into howling. Sometimes, and you may have seen this in your own children, and if not your own children, then you'll certainly have seen it in the children of other parents in the supermarket, when they yell, please mummy, please mummy, please mummy. And before long, all you hear is a long, extended wailing. Well, David is an experienced believer. And he knows, perhaps he senses, that his repeated complaints are about to turn into full-blown howling. So he stops. And he moves quickly on from that. He's expressed himself to God, he's voiced his complaint and now he is about to make his plea. This is what I need from you God and this is why I need it. He's making a case before God and it looks like this. Verse 3 reads, Consider me and answer, Lord my God. Restore brightness to my eyes. Otherwise I will sleep in death. He wants God to consider him and restore brightness to his eyes, something we can all say when we're low and have lost that spark of life. In fact, when you are burdened with worries, people can often tell just by looking at your eyes. The eyes, they say, are the windows to your soul. They give everything away. But David doesn't want bright eyes just so that he can feel better. He's aware that he's not in a good place in his faith. He's slipping fast. This is not a good place to be and here's why. Despair can lead to depressed thinking. And when you're low in your spirit, you can start thinking about death in a morbid and miserable way. Not as the glorious gateway to heaven. Death to a despairing person is about defeat. I might as well be dead. What's the point of living? I've had enough. It's not the words of Paul who, when he was nearing his death, said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. You can find that in 2 Timothy, chapter 4, verses 7 to 8. You know, David should have been like that, should have been like Paul, because we have wonderful psalms where we know he focuses on the glories of seeing God's God face to face. But here, he simply asks that God will restore brightness to his eyes. Otherwise, I will sleep in death, he says. You see when your head is full of negativity and despairing thoughts it can be hard to get out of bed in the morning and it is not unknown for depressed people to spend huge amounts of time sleeping. Well David fights against this he says restore brightness to my eyes, wake me up, get me out of this or I will just sleep my way into the grave. He's asking for God to waken his faith, to encourage him, to give him hope and strength again so that he can stop talking like an unbeliever sinking sorrowfully into his grave in defeat and start talking more like a man of faith for whom the grave has no victory and and death has no sting. David is also aware that there are people watching him. He says in verse 4, My enemy will say, I have triumphed over him and my foes will rejoice because I am shaken. David shows enormous maturity here. He realises that he has a duty as a servant of God to act in the right way. Otherwise his enemies would look at him and laugh and say, Well, where is his God now then? When that photograph was sent to me in a Christmas card, this is how I dealt with it. I'm not holding myself up as a beacon of virtue here. I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt that God, that had God not carried me minute by minute, there were times when I would have sunk into my grave in despair, absolutely. But by God's grace, he had spent many, many years preparing me for that moment. I knew that my enemy was not this thoughtless woman. I knew she was not gloating over me, but my enemy... Satan thought that he would triumph over me. He thought that my work as an interpreter of glorious truths was finally over. He thought that my devotion to God and his word was now finished. He thought my view of God would be changed forever and on that count he was right. I saw God more clearly than I ever saw God. I saw him as more precious than I'd ever seen him before and more true than i had ever seen him before. And these were the words that came out of my mouth. Satan will have no victory here. You see, you might be fortunate enough not to have enemies. Certainly not those who would gloat over you. But unbelievers are watching your life they may be in your immediate family or further afield but they are constantly mindful of the fact that you are a Christian and now you're rolling around in your bed howling and if they haven't noticed I can guarantee you that Satan has and we need as believers to develop that backbone that willingness to say Satan will have no victory here and the second you show willing. God will give you everything you need, everything you need to fight that battle. In fact, he will come and fight it for you. And I'm living proof of that. David's plea is not, you have to help me because I feel so bad I wish I was dead. His plea is, You have to help me. Otherwise people will see that my faith has been shaken and my enemy is going to have all of the victory. You've got to lift me out of this pit so that Satan has no victory here. And that takes us to the final part of our psalm and David's resolve. He has voiced his complaint. He has made his plea. And immediately God comes to his rescue. David is suddenly stirred in his soul. He is awakened to God's faithful love. He is confident that God is going to deliver him. And he even starts singing. God has put hope in his heart and a song in his mouth. David's resolve can be found in verses 5 and 6. But I have trusted in your faithful love. My heart will rejoice in your deliverance. I will sing to the Lord because he has treated me generously. Isn't it amazing how in the course of talking to the Lord, making his complaint, presenting his plea before God, he has suddenly moved from speaking of God as one who has forgotten him and deliberately ignored him, to declaring, he has treated me generously. I think the NIV might even say, he has been good to me. You see, Psalm 14 takes us into a mature believer's process of handling problems, pains and disappointments. David takes his complaint to the Lord, not to his friends, not to his family, not to the internet. This is what I don't understand about God or making rash statements like I'm throwing in the towel he takes his complaint directly to the throne room of God and he begins to pour out his complaint but in doing so he quickly becomes aware that his repeated complaint of how long is turning into childish wailing and he cuts it short and moves straight to his plea I need you, God, to help me so that I don't fall apart and make you look like a liar. I need you, God, to help me so that my enemy has no victory here. And in making his plea, which is focused on God's honour and God's glory and not his own, he is suddenly filled with hope. His focus is restored and he once more sees that God has given him far more than he can ever lose on this earth. He sees how generous God has been to him and he realises that there is an answer to that how long question. And the answer is, whatever you go through, whatever you face, however long it lasts, it will all be over when you see me face to face. No suffering is for nothing. You are going to be in a place where I will wipe every tear from your eye, where there will be no more sickness, no more death, no more dying, no more. No more struggling. No more disappointments. No more sorrows. How long? Well, I think God deliberately does not tell us. And I believe that is for our own good. But he does tell us this that it won't be long. Is it any mistake that in the very last chapter of the Bible, Jesus says in Revelation chapter 22, verse 12, Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me and I will give to each person according to what they have done. On that day, all of your suffering Every tear you have ever shed, every pain you have ever experienced, every heartache you have endured will disappear under the enormous weight of glory that is awaiting us. And David says, you have treated me generously.